Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Clay Scroggins, who is an author and a pastor. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. If you're a longtime listener, I am excited for this episode today with Clay Scroggins. I think that you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you're a new guest, this is your first, maybe second time listening, you're in for a real treat today. Today, I speak with Clay Scroggins, who is an author of his latest book, uh, his second book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. He is also the lead pastor of Buckhead Church, um, which is one of the largest campuses of North Point Ministries in Georgia. In today's conversation, we dive into some of his backstory, his, uh, his past in engineering, um, graduating with an engineering degree, and how he made the switch to ministry and what that was like for him starting as a facilities intern and just kind of working his way uh, into the ministry of Buckhead Church. And then we discuss his his latest book, um, How to Lead in World Distraction, and what he's been seeing in the world and just with the rise of technology um, and how we can uh, start to look at these distractions um, and see the limitations that they're having for us living into our best lives. Um, And he breaks down a framework and just kind of gets into the nitty gritty um, in this book. And and we talk a bit more about that as well in the podcast. Finally, um, we talk a little bit about leadership. What are some important characteristics that um, that he looks for in his staff, uh, some big learning curves, and just some important questions um, that uh, he provides some excellent wisdom and just experience on uh, through his through his years. I'm excited for this podcast today and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Clay Scroggins. Hey, everyone. Almost forgot to mention, if you're a longtime listener, if you've been listening to this podcast for the past few weeks, months, maybe even years, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes or on Google Play. Uh, It really helps spread the word and share this message to many of listeners. Thank you. Clay, thanks so much for joining me and the Guys Like Us podcast today. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, really glad to be with you. Grateful to be on your uh, grateful to be on your podcast, and I, I love that people like you do stuff like this because it, uh, you're taking your spotlight and shining it on uh, what I'm passionate about and interested in. And so I'm really grateful, and I hope it's helpful content. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I've always enjoyed. I always I've always been very curious of other people's uh, life and just kind of putting other people on the platforms that they you know. Might have or might not have, but really shining it maybe in a new light. So uh, it's been it's been a joy for me. Um, so I know that some some folks may be familiar with North Point Ministries and Buckhead Church, um, but uh, I know that for you, church leadership was not your initial plan. Uh, graduating with a d- degree in engineering, can you just talk a bit more about 
some of your background and how you, and really the process of shifting to full-time ministry. grew up in a Christian home. I, uh, faith has always been a big part of my life, but yes, I went to move to Atlanta, Georgia in 1998 <laughs> uh, to, to go to, to study engineering at Georgia Tech, which is right in the middle of the heart of Atlanta. And I liked it. I didn't love it. And I honestly wasn't that great at it. And the whole time I'm plotting through making my way through that degree program, I had gotten in really involved with this church. Andy Stanley mm-hmm. uh, started North Point Community Church in 1995, which eventually became North Point Ministries. We've got seven churches in the Atlanta area. And so when I, I was, I had gotten so involved there that when I graduated, I was getting, I was getting ready to graduate from Georgia Tech. And I told that this is a truthful conversation. I'm not making this up just for a punchline, but I told the, um, the registrar, I said, listen, if you um, will agree to let me out of here with this degree, I promise you I will never use it. And so <laughs> I felt like I made that uh, I made that exchange with Georgia Tech and I have I have stayed good on my part of the, the deal for sure. <laughs> uh, moved to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary, got a master's in theology from Dallas Seminary, ended up getting a doctorate in uh, really spe- um, uh, specializing, emphasizing uh, online community, online church and love Dallas Seminary, really grateful for my time there. Um, but as great as the school was, the best thing that happened to me while I was in Dallas is I met my amazing wife, and we got married pretty soon after I graduated from seminary, and she ended up graduating a year later. And then we have uh, we live in Atlanta now, and I am the pastor of one of our campuses. We've got um, I've bounced around. I've spent a lot of time in student ministry, but I've spent about the last ten years as a campus pastor. And we have five kids, 10, six, four, and two. Those are their mm-hmm. ages, not their names. And we um, are really enjoying our life right now. We, I'm fresh on this new assignment. Uh, Buckhead Church mm-hmm. is our uh, most urban campus. It's right in the middle of uh, kind of the heart of the city. And it's been a whole lot of fun so far. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, and I, I do want to get to some of your your latest work and your kind of latest calling right now with your, with your recent book project. Um, but, uh, since you, you have a lot of expertise in leadership and, um, have kind of have seen, have been at North point for some time now, when you first were getting involved there, can you take me back? This is, as you mentioned, the early stages, North point launched in 1995 and then you were, you joined or kind of were part of the picture in 98, and uh, right. end of that end of that kind of around that time frame what was so attractive about uh, really inspiring about the leadership above you that encouraged you to to take steps from i know you were a, a facilities intern so kind of at the quote unquote bottom of the totem pole um, yeah. but then, uh, to now obviously being uh, in such a in such a different position uh, and having a lot more responsibility was a big deal already to me at that point in my life. So, um, I was probably, I had a real, I don't know. I, I like to ask people the question, Hey, when you think about your relationship with God, what are you most mm-hmm. excited about when it comes to your relationship with him? And mm-hmm. a lot of times people mention peace or, you know, his presence for me, it's always been the purpose that I feel the calling. I feel not just a calling into full-time vocational ministry, but just the calling I feel to be the kind of person that is 
doing whatever I can do to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen a church that did it so strategically that had thought through the process and the system. So, Mm -hmm. so well, and there was such a good sense of common, you know, common language is so important for any organization that really creates culture. And there was just Mm -hmm. such common language and clear language and, um, just such a well thought through strategy. I was really mm. attracted to the vision uh, to create a church that unchurched people love. Mm. There's a lot of churches in the world, but there aren't many churches that unchurched people would walk into and feel really comfortable and um, would feel loved in and would love themselves even before they believe it or buy into it. So um, I just, I honestly went to seminary, wanted to get trained to go back and work at North Point, And I, that didn't float in my seminary uh with my peers because calling was just a such a different sense different uh maybe a, people had different definitions for it mm-hmm. and i at the time would have said yeah i don't know if i feel called into ministry but i came to get a degree in theology so that i could get better trained so i could go work at this church and um i've been there ever since then so mm-hmm. uh yeah north point's just been a huge part of my story and i feel really grateful to get to experience, get to be on the front row of all the mm-hmm. growth that we've seen and the churches that we've gotten to plant and the lives that have been changed because of what God has done. So it's just been a definitely a ride that I feel supremely humble to be a part of and um, really hopeful about the future as well. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. And you, and you mentioned just the, how strategic North Point is in uh, everything they do, and I'm sure that kind of goes down to even things that you don't think about that year wouldn't really wouldn't really uh, concern or you know wouldn't kind of concern you from the outset. But when you look at the intention of how much kind of maybe value it delivers or h- how far it goes, uh, it's super important. And, um, and and obviously now people, I think we're looking to be more strategic in our own personal lives of how we deal with technology and the emerging yeah. role that technology is having in ministry and just really at the, in the world and in, uh, in culture. Um, so, so first, congrats on your, your latest book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. How, how has it been the past few months now? Yeah, it's been a whole lot of fun. You know, I, um, I have a day job, you know, so I'm a pastor. Yeah. I'm not a I, I, writing uh writing uh, leadership content is just really this side thing that has become just a byproduct of um, what I'm getting to do day to day. So, you know, in some ways um, it's been, obviously it's just been a Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. It's been humbling. It's been an exciting thing to get uh, an exciting message to carry one that I'm very passionate about. But at the same time, I think the day that the book released, my eight-year-old son had a football game, so I mm-hmm. went to his game after work, had a long day of work, a lot of meetings, uh, got home that night and had to change diapers and help get kids bathed and get them in bed. So mm-hmm. it <laughs> certainly, um, life yeah, really does yeah. just kind of keep moving, but uh, mm-hmm. I love the message. I feel very burdened uh, by the message. I feel in, burdened in a really good way. I mean, I feel really passionate about talking about it and it, and also it's very personal i mean it's just a really it is my story so mm-hmm. i've um i never set out to write leadership content i just started i started writing and um this is kind of what has come out but uh, there's a i was i was listening to this songwriter interviewed the other day he he actually 
is in probably the, I don't know, maybe like the Americana genre. Mm-hmm. And they were asking him, you know, did you set out to write this kind of music? And he said, no, but whenever I sit down to write, this is just what comes out. And so I really feel kind of the same way about leadership, but I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the topic. Um, I think leadership is a incredible tool that God's given us to influence others. Uh, I love the simple idea that when you get better as a leader, everyone around you wins, your family gets better, your work gets better. Um, there's something powerful about it. So this book's really, it's about self-leadership. It's about leading mm-hmm. yourself well uh, to turn down the noise of the distractions around you so that you can become the healthiest version of yourself. Um, that's really the simple gist of, um, of the content. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, thank you. And um, I, I'm, I have your book actually right here and I uh, have been, been been looking through it and um, and what kind of looking at the the initial I, I guess getting this book you know from 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 pen to actually print what what um, when you're uh, when you're thinking about just you know how, how you can get out this this message and how you can kind of uh, take it to the next I guess the next stage what was so what would I guess why 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 is leadership or this type of advice? And I think especially the emotional training that you talk about is obviously obviously a, a big component of the book. Why is it so timely now? Or what made you write this book now? Because I know that you you recently published another book as well. Yeah, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, again, just part of my own story. I'm sitting in the middle of an organization, not in charge of an organization, but I'm, I'm in charge of some things and trying to figure out how to lead when you're not in charge. Mm-hmm. This was kind of a natural next step. Is one of the most important aspects of leading when you're not in charge is learning to lead yourself. Mm. Um, but I had a there was a situation that I bumped into that really helped some of these principles crystallize for me. But I'm sitting. Uh, we've we've been our organization's been changing a lot. Just like every church, every every company in the world's been changing a lot because the world's been changing so much. Um, obviously technology, the rapid advance of technology, the rapid advance of information, uh, the ability to attend church online, it's just changed the way church looks, uh, the amount of, you know, the increase in people that would recognize themselves as irreligious or just a nun in O-N-E mm-hmm. has changed the church world. And so it, uh, started creating a lot of negative emotions inside of me, just the way I was feeling about myself as a leader. And it was exposing some stuff inside of me. And we had this one particular meeting where um, it just looked, it just, it, it looked like basically that I was, that, that I wasn't doing a, as good of a job as I wanted to do, that mm-hmm. some of the numbers that we look at, that uh, we get graded on or we get measured by, uh, they were not looking good. And I remember just feeling, feeling frustrated and feeling disappointed and feeling angry and also really questioning the way we were measuring and questioning what we were measuring as what, as and what, what you measure is what you're declaring is most important. So mm-hmm. there's a lot inside mm-hmm. of me that's really wrestling through that. So yeah. I set up this meeting with my boss. Uh, his name is Lane. Mm-hmm. And he works directly for Andy Stanley. So I, I said, hey, Lane, I'd love to talk to you about this. This is at the end of the week now, at the end of the day on Thursday. We, uh, our weekend is on Friday and Saturday. And I said, I would really love to talk to you about this because I'm really struggling with this. And I just am frustrated and I have a lot of questions about it. So we start talking. And Tyler, you know this feeling because you've been around ministry for so long. But you know that feeling when all of a sudden emotion starts to rise up in you, mm-hmm. um, and 
you don't know what you're going to do with it, but you're, you, you try to push it down. You know, I'm going to speak to it like, Hey, not now. Now's not the time. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those moments where the emotion inside of me was like, Oh no, we're coming out no matter what. And I just started crying sitting right there in the, in the, it's just me and my boss in this meeting in his office. I start crying uncontrollably. I, and I don't even know where it's coming from. That's the problem. I was like, Hey, we're talking about spreadsheets. We're talking about data. We're talking about numbers, but they aren't emotional. They're just objective. Yep. Yep. And it was exposing something inside of me that I was unaware of. And so, um, the worst of the moment was the worst of the situation is when my boss, who was a pastor asked me, who is a pastor, he said, Hey, can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, which was, (laughs) that was really, that was rock bottom for me. Um, yeah. But I just, Can you know, you know that feeling yeah. where I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't, you're welcome. I basically tried to say, you know, through tears, Hey, you're welcome to pray for me, but I need to go. I just need to get out of here. Yeah. I gotta go figure out what this is. Cause he kept asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? And I kept telling him I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Which clearly I wasn't fine. I mean, I was crying over a spreadsheet, you know, so there's something else wrong. Yeah. And so I leave and fortunately through a series of, um, really through a lot of silence, a lot of solitude, a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, mm-hmm. a lot of, mm-hmm conversation with God, conversation with myself, conversation with my spouse, I started figuring out what was going on inside of me that I was feeling like I was being perceived as a failure that people around me were going, Oh, he, it's not working for him. He's not achieving what he wants to achieve. And I just haven't experienced that much in life. And that was creating a lot of inadequacy or uh, insecurity. Um, Mm -hmm. There was also some frustration and some anger, probably some unresolved tension that was inside of me. But it really um, opened up a category for me that I had just never really processed, that the best leaders are the most emotionally healthy leaders. And when you're not an emotionally healthy person, you can't be a great leader. But the problem with emotional health is that there's so many distractions in the world that we can distract ourselves from actually looking inside of us to figure out what is going on. Hmm. And the emotions that we have, the emotions inside of us are actually messengers. They're trying to alert us of something. They're trying to tell us something. And instead of just turning up the noise or turning up the distractions like every single one of us are apt to do, mm-hmm. uh, a better strategy is to turn down the noise on a regular basis, to turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of what's really going on inside of us so that we can grow, so that we can learn from it, so that we can uh, actually become a more emotionally healthy person. And I just, at the time, wasn't doing that. I was super busy. I was uh, turning up the noise of busyness, turning up the noise of ministry, turning up the noise of activity, social media, certainly technology is a part of that. Um, and I was avoiding dealing with what was going on inside of me until the moment where I was forced to deal with it. And so I think this is a powerful concept for leaders because every single leader is prone, every human's prone to do the same thing, but particularly leaders are prone to distract themselves with anything and everything that will help them avoid dealing with what's actually on the inside. Um, but that's a danger. It's a mm-hmm. sincere danger that every single one of us have to face mm-hmm. at some point in our life. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and as you just through your, your, your example and your experience, it can seep into other areas of, of your life that, uh, aren't always the most pleasant or the most, most comfortable and can really, uh, you know, at some point it's going to smack you in the face and say, Hey, you, you have to deal with this, but but hopefully we can, yeah, exactly we, right. hopefully we can get to it and, and really, uh, understand it and see the distraction and then, but also kind of name where we're, how we're compartmentalizing or how we're suppressing, uh, these emotions, which are through, uh, 
through white noise in particular of what of what you described what are what have you been seeing as some of the ways that we might mask um, some of this uh, some of these emotions or kind of these describe this these these noises that uh, we tend to kind of fall back on yeah that's a great question I you know there's some common ones I mean I've done this talk numerous times in front of crowds and I'll you know, usually I'll get a whiteboard and I'll say, you know, once I've explained the simple concept, I like to use that illustration of white noise because white noise is a sound masking device. It's mm-hmm. a tool that we use to mask the noise that we don't want to hear. Uh, we have little kids, um, and so we use a lot of white noise in our house whenever our kids are sleeping just to make sure that nothing wakes them up because sleep is so precious when you have little kids. Mm-hmm. And so um, I like the illustration of white noise. So, yeah, to your point, helping people identify what are those common forms of white noise that we keep our fingers on the dial of. And that's what I found about distraction. Yes, there's a lot of distraction in the world. Uh, Our workplace particularly is more distracted than ever before. 75% of employees claim that over the last year they've wasted two or more hours a day being distracted. And the most common distractions are forms of technology typically, Mm -hmm. email, social media, internet surfing, internet shopping, things like that. Uh, so obviously it's a problem for the workplace, but to your point, it seeps its way into every area of our life. It's a problem in our parenting. It's a problem in our homes. It's a problem in our relationships. Uh, but the worst, the worst problem is what we're distracting ourselves from. That's the danger is that every one of us is turning something up so that we can avoid dealing with what's going on inside of us. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to help people do, what I try to do myself is just the first step is identifying, well, what is my noise? What's the most common thing that I use to turn up when I don't want to deal with what it is that's inside of me? Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, obviously anybody listening to this could think of what the most common forms of noise are. I mean, it's, you know, work, it's busyness, it's working out, it's eating, it's, uh, social media, technology, movies, Netflix, really anything. I mean, that's the challenge of this is that anything can be a drug. It -hmm. just depends on how we're using it. Uh, Mm -hmm. but leaders specifically have some forms of white noise that I think are, um, just very common to, um, very common to leaders. And that's the, that's why I think this is such an important conversation in the sphere of leadership. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and I uh, I know in particular, and this is something that when I when I read this, I immediately you know when you kind of have that light bulb moment of uh, yeah you know this is this is why this is so dangerous. And in your book, it was um, on affirmations on and on the, the the headline everyone gets a trophy. Um, and I, I started la- so I funny I, I actually I ran a marathon yesterday. Um, the Chicago one? No, I was in Newport, Rhode Island. So, yeah, okay. um, so I actually and I and I got a medal when I finished. Um, and I'm like, geez, what is it with them giving everybody a medal? You know, yeah. I, I finished like I finished like you know I wasn't I was not top three. I was not top ten. I was not I wasn't in the top. You know, I was I was way down there. And I'm like, what? You know, it's a nice gesture, but like, you know, there there's something about kind of this, this, this kind of what, what the point is of giving a medal, uh, and of affirming what is really good and not just, um, saying, you know, saying you're good or saying that this, this is, this is okay. When really there's something that we can, that, that you're covering up or that you're, that, that, that you can work on. Um, so can, yeah. can you, can you talk about kind of this? And I think it's really kind of part of our culture of this kind of trophy culture and, and what that can, what that can mask. Yeah, the danger, and you know, I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm right on the edge of uh, Gen X or the millennial generation. I'm right in between there. Um, so I, I I didn't get participation trophies, and my kids do. Yeah. And I'm not totally opposed to them. I mean, there is something valuable about yeah. giving a kid a medal, especially until they learn, you know, what it, what it's really like to win and what it's really like to lose. But yeah, the danger of the uh, culture that we have around raising kids that's such an affirming culture is that we're teaching our kids, um, we're teaching our kids that to we're, we're affirming our kids even in spite of or maybe in replace of the opportunity that they have to evaluate. And the danger of that is that self-affirmation, when it replaces Mm self-evaluation, is really where self-deception begins. Wow. That if if, if we're just affirming our kids, if we're just affirming ourselves and telling ourselves everything's okay and everything's good and everything's fine, it, it doesn't exercise that muscle inside of us of evaluation. And that's what's on the other side of distraction is discovery. If we turn down the distractions, we're forced to evaluate and wrestle with the things that are actually inside of us. Mm-hmm. And it's the easiest way to deceive ourselves. It's the beginning of self-deception. And that's the danger of this self-affirmation culture mm-hmm. that we live in. And so I'm, uh, I'm as guilty of it as anybody because I like – I like, I'm a, I'm a naturally positive person. I really, I'm an Enneagram 7. I don't, mm-hmm. uh, my main motive in life is to avoid pain. I don't mm-hmm. like anything that makes me feel sad. I don't like anything that hurts. And I don't like discomfort. But the danger is, is that if I just avoid that and continue to turn up the volume of activity or positivity or uh, good vibes, mm-hmm. um, then I miss out on exploring what's inside of me that really needs yeah. to be explored. And more than that, it really needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And that's the danger of uh, constant affirmation, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. And I, um, I think affirmation is something. I, no, I think it's, it's incredibly valuable and necessary. Um, I just think we don't always appreciate maybe the other side of it or the flip side of the coin of what it can, you know, when maybe we're, we're overusing it or not using it in the right, in the right place. Um, yeah, that's well said. And so I, you, you talk about being an, uh, becoming rather an emotional detective. Um, and I think this is a really good analogy for the way that we can kind of uh, uh, evaluate and then diagnose our emotions. Can you, can you kind of work through what that, what that means for, for listeners who are maybe experiencing these emotions but don't know where they're coming from and if they should be dealing with and how they should be dealing with them? Yeah, I, you know, I um, am very reluctant on sending anybody on some kind of Blair Witch project, some kind of witch hunt to try to find something that's not yeah. actually there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think every one of us can learn to become more emotionally curious to mm. figure out, okay, what what are my emotions actually trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. And so once you've identified what your noise is, once you've experimented with it and decided, okay, I'm going to turn it down. Um, you know, in my case, it was turned down for me because I had this emotional explosion in my boss's office. Mm-hmm. But then I've got to go through the process of going, okay, well, where's this coming from? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what? This emotion inside of me, particularly in my case, this emotion of inadequacy, this emotion that was causing me to feel um, like a failure, or that I was worse, that I was being perceived as a failure. Uh, where, where is it actually coming from? And then maybe even a better question for those of us that are followers of Jesus is mm. how would God want me to deal directly with this emotion? And that's what most people um, just aren't doing enough of, me included, is that we're just not asking the question, God, you created these emotions. You made me. 
what, how would you want me to deal with them directly? I mean, we're the most stressed, depressed, and anxious generation mm-hmm. to ever walk the planet. Uh, we're the most depressed, stressed, anxious society in the world. And yet we're also the most medicated uh, society ever. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a fan of medication, and certainly there's chemicals inside of us that sometimes need to be um, yep. put in better balance. And sometimes medication is the greatest way that we can help ourselves, but at the same time, uh, sometimes we need to just turn down the noise and deal directly with the emotion. And that takes an, an emotional curiosity and it really happens through question asking, mm-hmm. asking, you know, so, sometimes just simple questions like, Hey, when, when did I last recognize this emotion? Was it, does it happen whenever I'm hungry? Does it happen because I'm tired? Does it happen because I'm just worn out? Um, or is there something more than that? No, there's this, you know, was I recently passed over for a job? If so, and I should pay attention to that emotion and say, okay, God, well, what do I do when I'm passed over? What do I do when I didn't get what I thought I deserved? What do I do when someone else got what I thought was coming for me? Well, there's an answer there in, in every situation. And um, the answer of inadequacy, what do I do when I feel inadequate? Well, I got a question. Well, who, who, who gets the right to tell me whether or not I have significance? Who has, mm-hmm. who has earned the right to tell mm-hmm. me what, uh, to define my worth? Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to loneliness, another form of emotion that so many people feel that just has such a stigma, we just don't talk about it much. Uh, what do, most people turn up noise in their life because they just don't want to feel that pain of loneliness. But a simple, you know, that, that simple question of God, how would you want me to deal directly with my loneliness? I mean, what does God say mm-hmm. about loneliness? Well, Jesus faced loneliness head on mm-hmm. while he was on the cross in that incredibly dramatic, awful moment at the end of just before his death on the cross of Calvary, he cries out to God and say, my God, my God, my father, why have you forsaken me? And he experienced this deep sense of loneliness so that you and I could experience this deep sense of intimacy with the father that we never, for the rest of our time on earth, for the rest of our time in eternity, we never had to face actually being alone. And so even though I might feel lonely, I've got to remind myself that I'm not alone and that's not always easy to do, but it's certainly a better way to approach loneliness than some of the distractions that we tend to use to keep ourselves from having to face that emotion that we don't actually like to feel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, I love one of your points is who gets to establish, um, who, who gets to establish this in, 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 uh, inadequacy or, who, you know, who gets to say um, that I am I am inadequate. And I think um, it, it's important for kind of putting our, our priority or rather understanding who God is and, and keeping that central and keeping uh, the way of Christ as our, our central, our central, our, our, our central path and then understanding, okay, you know, like there, there might be, there might be some emotion or there might be, uh, somebody who is, who is causing this emotion in me that is, um, is not warranted or maybe it's not, it's not true. And, and, and kind of discerning that through prayer, through, through this quietness and just t- talking with God to, to understand, is this real? Is this something that I should, I should be dealing with? Or is this kind of, is this another, could this be another white noise? Yeah, I think about, um, you know, it's we're in the fall right now. It's football season. Just this weekend, there were a couple of football games, both in college and in the pros, where mm. 
they were they were lost because a kicker missed an extra point or missed a field goal at the very end of the game. And I, I I was never a kicker. Were you ever a kicker? Did you ever play that role on a team? So I I actually played soccer, so I was always the kicker. You know what? I feels more than anybody else, and I I don't know why I always feel so empathetic toward those. Uh, I feel so much sympathy toward those kickers because. It's just so easy, particularly those ones that, you know, on Saturday and Sunday missed a huge kick that now, you know, they've got scores of people that, you know, would rather them die than have to face the loss of their team. And I just think about those kickers a lot going, what are they supposed to do? I mean, they can't look in the mirror and go, hey, I'm not going to listen to anybody else. I'm a winner, you know, because the truth is, no, you did. You blew it. Like, that's the truth. But like, that you, you had a moment to win the game or at least tie the game, and you blew it. But then you've got to start doing some emotional curiosity, getting underneath that, and go, okay, so if I would have made the kick, then what would have happened? Well, I guess Mm -hmm. I would have felt good about myself. Okay, well, why would you have felt good about yourself because you made the kick? Well, I guess that would have told me that I I had value. You know, well, who's to say that you make a kick or miss a kick, and that determines your value? Well, I guess that's just what I was taught since I was a kid, which is a real conditional way to live. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually, the more you get down underneath that, you've got to decide who exactly that question that you just referred to, who, who gets the right to tell me that I have worth? Is it my, is it my performance or mm. is it something that transcends that? Mm. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a little easier when the game is black and white like it is in sports. But mm. when it comes to leadership, it's just way more complicated because it's never really clear, am I winning or am I losing? And who gets to decide what the score is and what, what what's actually on the scoreboard? Mm-hmm. But you know, as well as I know, that if we're going to lead at our fullest potential, if we're going to lead as effectively as we want to lead, uh, we've got to be people that are willing to take risks, knowing that we might fail. But we also have to be people that don't put our, that don't rest our identity, that don't stake our worth on whether or not we actually succeed or whether or not we fail Mm -hmm. and that's a really tricky dance as a leader to be you know uh, confident enough to risk but then also confident enough to know hey even if i fail that doesn't determine my worth and so there's some differentiation Mm -hmm. that has to happen where i differentiate myself from what actually is happening in my work Mm -hmm. and that was my challenge Mm -hmm. is that i was attaching my worth to my work i was Mm -hmm. attaching my sense of uh self-esteem my sense of identity so it was so closely associated to um, how I was doing in my job. And that's mm-hmm. just a really dangerous place to be. But as long as there's distractions in my life, I would rather just turn those up than actually face that mm-hmm. those difficult questions inside of me. And that's really the that's what I see in myself so often is everyone mm-hmm. around me can tell me that, hey, you need to change. You got to fix that. And it's just easier for me to tell everyone else they're wrong than it is for me to actually face the music and deal with what's going on inside of me. And uh, that's that's why I think this is such a habit of great leaders. This is not a habit of good leaders. Mm-hmm. Good leaders don't do this, but great leaders are the ones that turn down the noise on a routine basis. They have a rhythm of turning down the noise mm-hmm. so that they can face what's going on inside of them. So they can become more emotionally healthy people because the best mm-hmm. leaders really are the most emotionally healthy people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, um, and, and what I love in, in the way in your, in your book of how you transition into these, these four habits, um, that are just super practical of, you know, just some, some building block or not building blocks, but rather, um, just ways that we can kind of exercise and kind of tangibly grasp, um, 
how we can kind of go out and make these changes. And one of it is simplicity. And I've heard really as you get uh, a, a good, I guess it's a good prop, good pro, a good thing is that as you grow as a leader, your problems don't go away, but they become more complicated. Um, yeah, that really is true. And, but uh, obviously it what you're advocating here is for simplicity. So kind of how do you deal or how do you uh, get to simplicity when your problems become more complicated? Yeah, that's one of the challenges, probably maybe the greatest challenge of leadership that the, the simple problems are the ones that we solve early in our careers, but careers really are a, a career is really just a series of solving greater, more complicated problems. Mm-hmm. And so you eventually get to a place, you eventually sit at a desk where only the most complicated problems are the ones that you're speaking into. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you're exactly right. That's a real challenge of leadership. But I think there's something powerful about finding simplicity in every area of life that you can, because what simplicity does is simplicity really forces you to, to answer the question, why? Uh, why mm-hmm. am I here? Why am I alive? Uh, what is the, I like the term, what is my spine? Mm-hmm. There's a spine that I want to run through everything that I do in the same way that my spine runs right through the core of my body. Uh, there's a spine to my life. And that spine really is my mission. It's my purpose on earth. It's the, it's the answer to the question, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And that the, the beauty of simplicity is that the more simple life gets, the more the the less clutter there is around me, the more margin there is for me to be able to, uh, to, to live my life, uh, the more crystal clear my why becomes. And then vice versa, the, the more I'm able to answer the question, why, uh, the, the, the simpler some of those decisions get even the more complicated ones, because you start asking, okay, well, I, I ultimately, I want to do what honors God and I want to do what's Mm -hmm. best for people. And I want to do what is most loving to the people around me. And if that becomes my spine, it, it definitely, it's, it's one of the only things I've found that can part the clouds of complexity and uh, that gives clarity, even in some of the most complicated situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of reprioritizing uh, is kind of a, a notion that I'm getting. And um, sometimes we can spread ourselves a little bit too thin and uh, are and and are focusing on maybe tasks tasks or responsibilities that we can delegate or that um, just maybe aren't in our skill set and really aren't where we are honoring God the most um, and leveraging our our kind of some of our greatest gifts and our strengths um, so true. instead of you know and focusing on where, where other people have uh, or maybe more more gifted or, or uh, and are you know, more eager and passionate about, about getting involved in, in that. Um, so I, I don't want to go through all of the, the four habits, but, uh, one, one that I do want to highlight on is, um, is on, is getting quiet. And I think this can be, uh, when you were speaking earlier on busyness and kind of using busyness as, um, as a way that we can, kind of put off uh, what we're what we're currently dealing an emotion that we're currently dealing with or something that we don't want to do um, but I, I think it, it's such an important spiritual discipline um, that is so hard um, I, I think a lot of us are familiar with it but we don't always know kind of how to actually find a place of quiet um, and kind of get into this place how, what advice do you have for people who really don't know where to start. I, a lot of, a lot of listeners are probably tuning in from 
urban environments where it's uh it's kind of hard to find to to take a step back yeah i um i hate solitude um i really do i mean to me it's the loudest uh some of the loudest moments of my life have been in those moments of solitude um but my what's been most helpful for me is having a guide having a plan you know for me to just go and sit quietly for even five, 10 minutes without a plan and just ends up being a waste of time. So what I've been using lately is just the three little phrases, uh, I want, I need, and I surrender. Mm. And just opening up a blank notebook with those three, the the beginning sentences with those three little um, verbs has just been so helpful for me Mm. because sometimes I end up writing down things that I want that I didn't even realize I want, or even I question it. What's helpful for me is I'll write it down and go, Am I supposed to want that? Is that okay for me to want that? Am I allowed to want that? Hmm. But it's just a form. All it is, it's just a, it's a check-in. It's a, it's yeah. a self-leadership exercise to, it's like an oil change. It just keeps the, the engine of the heart running um, in a way that you want it to run uh, by answering, what do I want? What is it that I think I need? Hmm. And then what do I need to surrender? And surrendering is, such a powerful, powerful exercise because mm-hmm. it's where freedom is found. Mm-hmm. We think that freedom's found in being out on our own and living our lives self-determined, self-actualized, doing exactly what it is we want to do. But uh, I really believe, just like I'm sure you do, that the greatest freedom we can have is found in in the place of surrender. Mm-hmm. So having a guide like that, having an exercise like that has been helpful for me versus trying to just go at it on my own and just sit there I end up distracted by 17 other things and then it ends up making me feel worse. And why can't I concentrate? Why can't I pay attention? Why can't I pray? Like mm-hmm. I want to pray. Um, so having a, having some kind of guide, some form of uh, uh, a framework to think through has helped me, given me a strategy for getting quiet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. And and now just uh, to, to, to wrap up, I just have some rapid fire questions uh, really in particular for, uh, for leaders, and this could, you know, this can relate to your book, or, or it can just be from your experience. But just, uh, I have three questions, so just, you know, short, short replies, a few bullet points that you'd, uh, uh, for, for answers. Uh, first one is, as a leader, what are important characteristics that you look for in your staff that show that they are ready for a leadership position? Um, you know, in particular, managing, managing people. I would say it's the anyone who's leading themselves well. Um, mm. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. Awesome. Fantastic. Second question, what are the biggest learning curve moments that people should be prepared for uh, as they step into a place of leadership or maybe into a new level of leadership? Uh, I mean, the ones that have been hardest for me have been Anytime I've adopted a new team that I didn't choose, um, that's a really hard situation mm-hmm. to walk into. Okay. And then, uh, and then the last one. Finally, if leaders can walk away with one thing from today, what would it be? I would say to be bold, be courageous, turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of what's going on inside of you. I think your future self demands it. I think your mm team around you would be grateful for it 
And I think in the long run, it will help you grow way far beyond anything else that you could do. Mm, awesome. Uh, well, Clay, it's been a, it's been a real joy having you on the pod, on the podcast today. And I, I do hope that listeners can grab a copy of your book, how to lead in a world of distraction, um, as well as your other book. Um, and I just want to know where can people find you if they want to grab a copy of the book, where's the best place to do so? I think the book is sold pretty much right. Any books are sold. Um, but I, I'm on social media. I would love to connect. I mean, it's an amazing tool for us to be able to connect with people mm. that we just wouldn't otherwise meet. Uh, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter primarily. I'm on Facebook as well, but I'm less active there. Mm. I've got a website, uh, howtoleadonline.com, howtoleadonline.com. That's got uh, a bunch of resources that are just free for people to help get the conversation started with your team or with your employees, your coworkers. Mm -hmm. And just really grateful for this conversation, Tyler. So thank you, man, for having me on. My joy. Thanks so much for, for being on the Guys Like Us podcast.